Now that's a pretty bold selection considering there is no sun when we're recording today. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, imagining it. I'm, I'm going to will it. Although, although the day prior to this recording, it was warm. It, yes. I had to turn the AC back on for a little bit. Welcome to St. Louis weather. Yes, and when this drops, it'll be a couple days after Thanksgiving and all the... And who knows? Cloudy references that that... <laughs> loads up. All the listeners will be so like, hopefully, piss off, there's no sun. <laughs> so hopefully three days later, the uh, Crown Royal and stuffing is worn off. Here on Soccer Mom Sunday. Right, there you go. <laughs> on Soccer Mom Sunday, you know, it could be mimosa time. Like that is that is definitely something that I'm not a Bloody Mary person. I, it, I yeah, want to yeah. like it because it seems like, oh, it's sort of healthy. It's but I'm a, a mimosa person if no, I got to do that. I'm with you because it's like, why why put pasta sauce in vodka? <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. You know, you're not the for the celery either. Some of my friends are like, they, the, the celery is like the fin. Uh, yeah, I don't like it. No, just you. pour a pint and maybe get a stick of celery, you know, like wings, <laughs> chicken wings, right? right? Put it on the side. You don't need put to put side. it in the drink. You don't even look at it. <laughs> Are you one of those people, though, that like, if you were to get one, would you have the buffet on top of it? Or are you like, just give me the beverage. I don't need all this garnish. Oh, yeah. No, just, yeah, there's no, you don't have to waste it on me. Yeah. Just give me the drink. I'm with you. So Jennifer C's here, JB Anderson. We're here at Mellow Mushroom in Sunset Hills. I remembered to, and already I have an order. I was leaving the house as the 17 year old pulls up and he's like, I want pizza. I'm like, all right, we're going to get some. (laughs) Yeah. These guys are great. You know, they've been, you know, extremely kind hosting at both locations. Um, Yeah. You know, and the reality is, you know, you live in a town and you get into those habits, you get into those I don't, you know, maybe ruts, habits of where you eat, you know, wh- where you get your groceries, yep. where do you get your burgers, and pizza, obviously, everybody loves pizza. Their the pizza here is legit. Yeah, it's it is good. very, very good. I'm looking right up here at their little, uh, you know, beverage board too, which looks. But I'm always that person that's like, I'm gonna do something different. I look through the whole thing and I'm like, and I'll get the same thing I got last time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a three page menu, and yeah. I'll take the pepperoni pizza. Please. Thank you again. Yeah. <clears throat> please uh, and thank the, you. That picture on the cover. Yeah. That. Yeah, we're we're me and the girls. My two daughters are were sausage and pepperoni. Like it's easy. Could branch out. Put a meatball on it. See, we but have a, like no fruit. Uh, we have a veggie in our house. Yeah, we my my sons will. My sons and my husband will. The more, the better. Like the more stuff on it. Although, and then the sons really like uh, barbecue with pineapple whoa, and bacon. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I know, I know. I don't. Yeah, two well, that's of the not three of those are not sauce. pizza toppings. I agree. I agree. They need to get out of the. If house. they want barbecue, go order barbecue. Thank you. <laughs> and that Kansas City barbecue, right? No, <laughs> no. Spe- you know, speaking of, uh, so on the day of today's recording. Uh, we released the I episode with saw that. Chad Smith. I, I haven't listened to. No. I've had him on a broadcast before, just, you know, doing uh, Joey Zanaboni on the YNA Day broadcast to do like a scouting report, and he was one of those, and he gave a good one. Yeah, good. Sporting KC Journal, um, For the 90, a few other like podcasts and publications. He's a writer, uh, journalist. I, I, I don't know if that's like his day job. We never got to that, but <laughs> long story short, we probably doesn't pay enough. Probably not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, we brought the enemy into the mix and gave them, I mean, we gave them an hour to prove his case, and I feel pretty confident they are not right. the soccer capital of America. <laughs> but it was fun. It was a good conversation. Well, you know, by the time this podcast uh, drops, I've been thinking about this actually all week, and our last conversation was with Shelly Clark with The Ambush. Um, she was awesome. She was awesome, and she remind the things that she says 
in, in, a, in a leadership way, remind me of the things that I know about Carolyn Kindle. That I've heard through the grape. I don't know her personally. Um, I've met Carolyn a couple times, but I don't know her personally. And the, um, how am I, the trajectory, I think, that is happening in the larger, not just soccer, not just sports, but in society in general, that women are coming to the, or are fi- coming to the table or, or making their way through the table or being invited to the table to lead in different ways that don't have to be the way that maybe particularly men lead or, or classically, you know, uh, that leadership was set up to be. And just which stood out about Shelley and then Carolyn Kendall is they, they lead with relationships. There's a different perspective, a different way to do things. And I'm so excited about that, especially too with our upcoming guests. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, after the interview the other day, talking with Shelley, it's like, <clears throat> you know, you talk about the nature versus nurture versus leadership, all the key words, right? The hot mm-hmm. topic words. And for her to be in the role that she is with the ambush as she outwardly states, I am not a soccer person. I am not picking players or strategies, but she runs businesses. Yeah. But then when you hear her talk about the players, that's where that nurture bridge comes Relationship into play. Relationship driven. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, it seems so freaking obvious. I mean, this shouldn't be that difficult. No. And I see it myself just as, as now, as now mostly just a parent, I no longer coach the game of soccer. I coach youth for a while, but that just added years to your life, by the way. I did. I did. Um, and, but I see it with the clubs around the area that have females in either leadership and or head coaching roles that, that there is a uh, way that can be coached and led that can be different and add and you know not subtract but add I mean I'd like to yeah. believe that I coach boys as well um, and they were a whole lot of fun just got done uh, coaching their mindset with Oakville High School the Tigers and and some of those boys came up to my shoulder and now I, I barely come up to their shoulders and I have to believe not that I was the best coach in the world but they are better off for also having a female coach for also having that influence in their lives. And I also loved hearing that they were really scared of me. That, that made me happy. That's the, that's all you wanted. I mean, let's get right to brass tacks. They're like, that, oh, that was of it. all the coaches, you were the meanest. I'm like, yes. That was your bogey. Go get me some coffee. No. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Go out and get on the line right now. <laughs> Thanks for remembering, punk. Yeah. <laughs> give me 50. Who, who could cr- Now, carry my, help me carry my things out to the car, gentlemen. <laughs> Awesome. So is it time to bring, bring yeah, her in? Yay! Let's do it. So I'm, I'm always excited about all the guests. I'm always afraid to say that. And then later, your previous guests to be like, hey, I want Brie McCarthy to be like, oh, you had me on first. Um, I love all of our guests, but Stephanie Gavard is somebody that I've, I've known of. I've never met her till today, but I've known about her for a long time. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, I'm scared. <laughs> all, and all the best ways, <laughs> all the best ways. You know, as you, we go, soccer connects, right? There's always, you know. Well, they, something from Kevin Bacon, like six degrees from Kevin Bacon is oh, a thing. Yeah. You can do that with soccer and, and only go a couple of degrees. Oh, yeah, especially um, in St. Louis. Exactly. But one of the things that I immediately looked up is that you and I went to CU Denver. You oh. you graduated. I looked at your LinkedIn, so I figured yeah. that's official. So you graduated from CU Denver with your master's and me earlier. Oh, my gosh. I'm older <laughs> maybe than you. But but I looked at that. I was like, look, we're alums. Oh, Who knew? awesome. Who knew? I, did, I uh, hadn't really ever met anyone, <laughs> not from out there, that actually went to school there. On the Auraria so campus, right? That's cool. There you go. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Um, luckily for me, I ended up. I did a lot of that online. Oh, um, nice. So I wasn't on campus all the time, but I did live in Denver and 
not when I did that. Uh, it's a long story. Yeah, yes, yeah. I am. I do have my degree. From I there. saw that. That was really cool. And then, you know, it would take a long time to go through Stephanie's bullets. But if you go, okay. Umsel Sports Hall of Fame, college coach, worked for U.S. Soccer. Um, I also thought this one was cool. NB3H. How do you say that? That uh, is it's it? Nota. The, Nota Begay the Third Foundation. With Native Americans. Yes. And soccer. Yes. Um, which was super cool. Colorado Storm Soccer Club, ECNL, that led the development of Sports Complex. I don't even know how you, you managed that. Wash U head soccer coach, Peak Nine LLC co-founder. So many things. Thank you so much for joining our show. Yeah, well, thanks <laughs> And for I'm done me. here. You can get to talk to Jamie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what's your favorite pizza? Let's, let's, yeah. Oh, my God. Start no, easy. I'm, I'm not going to add anything to that conversation because I always default to pepperoni, too. Right. I mean, why wouldn't you? You can't. Right. My, in, my, my seven-year-old would be like, just cheese. I'm like, they all have cheese. Yeah. That, that's just like, that's not even a topping. That's just a base. It's right. like, so, you know, crust, sauce, cheese. What are you doing? And she's like, I just want cheese. I'm like, that's not how we do it in this house. <laughs> you get the appetizer. Yeah, yeah, you, you got to do that. But also, I need to also say St. Louis Development Academy, yes. uh, who who used to be, we can't call them that now because no, no. there's a sporting Casey, but used Those to who be shall sporting, not be named. right? <laughs> used to be sporting, so I know sometimes I default to that because it was just what, what we had for so long. And in a really cool role, role. can you explain that? Yeah, so um, I am, I think my official title is <laughs> the good. Director of I, Emotional I, Fitness, um, oh, which that. when that came out, most of my friends kind of laughed at that. Um, well, you're a soccer player. Of course they did. You know, yeah, because <laughs> they still tease me after all these years. But um, so, yeah, it's been, it's, um, they basically created that to help uh, bring me in to work with all the players. I mean, mostly right now I'm mostly working with the girls um, to work on the mental side of the game, basically, is what it is. How, how did that come to fruition? Did you bring uh, the club the idea? Did they reach out to you? And, you know, who, 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 was, who was the one that sat down with you and said, let's figure this out? Yeah, it's, uh, we've been talking for a little while. So, um, all right, the, the main connection is Dan Donegan. So when I worked for U.S. Soccer, I coached, um, teams, and then I also uh, did a lot of the coaching courses, right, the National Coaching Schools. I was an mm -hmm. instructor. And Dan came in one year to start learning how to do that. You know, we were training more instructors. We both, I lived here then, just like for a brief time, and that's when Dan was the coach at SLU. And so anyway, we started working on the coaching courses together, and Let's just say we have a similar sense of humor, and uh, <laughs> I, I've never met Dan that, that I know of. This is a Sunday morning family show. Uh, <laughs> okay, we'll stop there. And then, um, so anyway, we had tons of fun, and then obviously we both lived here, right? So I, I would see him on occasion, but not a ton, right? So when I worked for U.S. Soccer, I was just traveling all the time. But right. um, anyway, so I've known Dan for however long that's been, and then... Um, I've been doing, so the emotional fitness piece was related to my Peak 9 uh, program, which I've been doing for a while, um, and I just kind of wanted to, I do it all over the country, but I wanted to have a home base, and since I've been living here, I've only been back for a couple years, um, you know, I started reaching out. I obviously have connections in almost all the clubs here, and I was talking to some of the clubs, and really, um, St. Louis Development Academy wanted it to be like 
at the forefront of what they were doing. I would say all the other clubs I talked to were interested in having that as part of what I could help do in the club. But really with the um, Development Academy, it just kind of fit the best. And it's allowed me to work with almost all the older wow. girls teams so far. Um, obviously, I can't work with every single team because there's so many. But uh, it's, it's given not like me, back in the day when we had one, you know, oh, yeah. one, one inch group, day one team. U19 and U16, and that's that was it. it. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, so it's let me it's let me work with a lot of those teams um, on a regular basis, which um, has been awesome. And it's getting a little rowdy in here. <laughs> a little bit. Um, Sunday show, my ass. <laughs> I know, right? So. Uh, so, yeah, that was the connection, and, you know, it's great because Dan's there, and all the people, I love all the people there, you know, Mike Bear and Jeff and uh, Vern Croft, who's fairly new. I knew him from before, from college coaching. I mean, all the, you know, all the guys, and I do say guys because, you know, Oh, we'll get guys. to that. We'll get to that. Uh, Marty Pike, who's been around forever. Marty, yeah. You know, it's just been great to, to be part of that group. Well, let me back up real quick. What gets... I know, so it's really cool to find somebody else that's teaching this because it, it's something that I try, try to teach as well. It, it's the place I struggled as a player. So it wasn't with the athletic side. It was it was pretty good. But what makes a, you as a soccer coach who's, you know, played the game and then you go teach the game? You teach the skilling and the drilling and the foot skills and the touches to say, ah, there's something missing here. This is a place I want to go. Not every coach does that. Yeah, it was just... Um it didn't matter what level I coached at, confidence, particularly among the female athletes and the younger ones, um, it was just always the thorn, you know? It was the thing that could never be mastered, for lack of a better way to say it, but no matter what level I was at, and it was often the best players, right? Everybody thinks the best players got it all sorted out. Mm -hmm. um, when they would hit, they would hit something, and that confidence would just start to crumble. Or when I started working outside of college soccer more with the younger players, with the girls as they developed, the ones who just couldn't, uh, didn't have the skills to be fairly confident, would just fall behind really fast. Right. So it didn't matter what I did as a coach, whether I was coaching youth players, college players, or national team players. That was always the thing that held them back the most, and it was always the thing that the ones who rose to the top had the most control over that piece. Let, let me ask both of you this question, um, because I've been thinking about this, obviously, Jen, with your work at Mind to Define in, in Peak Nine um, and what you're doing with the uh, Development Club. The focus on the mental side of things, do you find it ironic? Because we all love sports sport we love soccer probably the most right but we love sport and it occurred to me the other day there was a list that was a all-time greatest athletes right and it was the the usual suspects uh babe ruth and muhammad ali et cetera, et cetera. but when you start to think of these athletes like serena like tiger uh gretzky etc when you when you learn anything about them i found it ironic that at the forefront of all the stories about these individuals is when you talk to their camp or the people that competed against them, it was they're afraid of their mental fortitude. They're, they were afraid of their attitude. So it's almost as if like this mental side of the game is literally the pinnacle of how we describe the greatest ever. Why do you think there's a disconnect between this front page reality of the best athletes of all time 
and our unwillingness or or most clubs inability or they're they're just not addressing it why do you think that is i think it's um i think it's a hard thing to teach and a hard thing to see the benefits of in a very fast way right so um especially when you talk about youth development for youth players the stuff that i'm doing now you know, let's be real. Some of the girls sit in there and look at me like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I have three eyes or they have better things to do, you know. Um, some of the girls are really into Are writing it. notes about every word oh, you absolutely. say, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, they're like, kids are like that with everything. Um, so I, I, a lot of what you'll see from the benefits of these things, which you probably know, Jen, you won't see for a while, right? And so our youth soccer culture is uh, how much better did my kid get in the last six months playing for your club? Min- you know? Yeah, minutes, goals, yeah. points, right. et cetera. They're like these quantifiable things yeah, that outcome kind based. of sometimes don't really mean anything in the long run. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about the mental side of the game, it's a, it's a long-term skill building because they're all skills, right? Um, that you have to practice, you have to be taught, you have to have experience, you build those skills over time. They're really hard to see, um, like, right in your face, right? So if you're doing technical training every day, you're going you're gonna to see the difference in your technical ability right. fairly quickly, at least some, a little bit. But, um, you know, I mean, we all know the game is 90% mental. How many... How many athletes have you ever heard say that but I think the other piece of it is where we lose this in youth sports altogether is all those athletes that you mentioned Mm -hmm. um, that uh, you know credited the mental side of their game they also loved 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 that sport like passion like oh my gosh and they were incredible competitors yes like that drive that part of it but in, and that is so important too at the youth level because competition, you have to love the competitiveness of it, right? And so we have so many kids playing sports today that maybe should just be playing recreational sports, right? Just for fun, whatever. But everybody wants to play in whose these, dream is it? You know, big time, big time <laughs> volleyball program, soccer program, whatever it is. They don't love the sport, you yeah. know. So then it becomes more of a grind, right? Um, but if you have that real love for it, then you go into those competitive moments like, oh, my God, I can't wait for this because, you know, I'm going to maybe play against the best, right? And that's going to make me better or I'm going to show and whatever. If, you're, if you have a different approach, if that's not your approach, then it's like that's where all the anxiety comes in. That's where I'm getting burnt out. You know, those, those are all the things because you, you can't make someone feel that right. way right and so it's sort of like how do we take a step backwards sometimes um you know as parents uh and say what is it that realistically we want to try and get out of this or what does this mean for my daughter or my son in terms of happiness involved in what they're doing how what joy are they getting out of this is it just being with their friends right Great, you know, then we don't have to have conversations on the ride home about why you didn't make that one run, <laughs> you yeah, know, in the God. 89th minute or whatever it yeah. is. Um, or, or all of those runs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? well, you know, right, be nice. Yeah, I found it, I agree completely. And um, 
you know, and, and Stephanie and I probably both work heavily with girls, but I have also, at one point in time, I niched to girls, and I was like, this is stupid because boys need this too. We don't think they do, and it may come out a little bit differently, but boys struggle with it as much. Um, and when you get up into older ages, the way they cope can be can be different and also just as unhealthy right. um, if they're coping and they're not managing um, their mental side of the game. But And it's interesting with just the recently, I've got my last training with the Girls Academy teams on Monday, uh, and then I just finished up Oakville High School Boys Varsity, and I had them come into training with like just a sticky note. Everybody had to give me a sticky note to get into training of what do you want to get from, like what do you struggle with in your mental game? And I took those sticky notes away, I you know compiled them together, and the themes are the same. They're the same, whether it's, I, I want to get over mistakes, or I want to have more confidence, right? This elusive kind of thing, or I want to develop better leadership. I, problems with critique. Maybe I get yelled at by my teammate. They're the same, boys and girls, and it was just interesting that there just wasn't that much difference. And I've just done this with, I guess it's a total of seven teams now. Um, but I think it's the same, largely. And I, and I agree, Stephanie, you're exactly right. It's something that you don't easily see as you see a, a foot skill you teach a foot skill and they get it wrong and then you they do it again and they get it right and we think ah oh, they've got it mm -hmm. first of all they don't yeah <laughs> it takes yeah. many repetitions and the mental side i think is somebody said once if you don't see the mental until you see the mental and it right. usually comes out in a physical way like maybe somebody doesn't go make that run because they're like ah, i don't want to i don't want to take the chance but we don't easily see it so i think it's hard to wrap our well, cliche, oh, hard to wrap our heads around. <laughs> yeah, no, I always think of, of that that viral video of the the high school baseball team, where the pitcher like it's a state title final game final out, and the pitcher strikes out the batter. Well, the batter happens to be the the kid's best. I friend love that video. From growing up, team celebrates, and you see the pitcher walk up to his friend and hug him. Uh, yeah, like yeah. It, when I think of this realm, I think of like we as parents. We spend our whole life trying to teach empathy and compassion and, you know, fairness. And within sport, you know, that, that immediacy of the result of training, um, I, I see what you're saying. So what, what's the approach? What's the solution? How do you message that to a, well, there's different layers. First, you talk to a club to try and say, hey, this is why it's important. But then within the club, for both of you, you have parents, and then you have yeah. the projects, right? The right. children. How do you communicate that as uh, from an expectation standpoint? Yeah, I think it. Uh, you know, everybody has their outcomes that they're looking for, right? So, parents obviously want their, and I work mainly with girls. Um, they want their daughters to be strong, independent, able to, you know, make good decisions. Um, everybody wants their kid to be happy. Boys or girls. Um, so I think messaging, you know, with the parents is, you know, can be fairly easy because I don't know any parent that I could walk up to and say, hey, um, you know, do you want your daughter to be happy? <laughs> you know, and they would say, I don't know. You know, of course they do. Um, and parents see those, those moments, those lack of confident moments or lack of self-esteem or what, whatever all those things are. Um, so, but there's so much happening in youth sports now that it's like, well, how do you fit that in? Right? Like, oh, here's one more thing. <laughs> so I gotta many take more my practices. To, yeah. You know? Um, well, let me, let me interject. And again, this question is to both of you because, um, how much value would there be if 
these types of sessions, parents were present. Because we all know the reality of the sideline. We know what happens when these, these kids get in the car uh, with the type A's or the X player parent that mm -hmm. is really deconstructing so much that has just occurred in training or at a game, etc. How do, do you think there should be more integration with parents in this process as well? I think it goes the same. We talked about, I remember who we talked about it with, but also with, with just straight up the coaching the sport, right? Is that how much do you as a coach or as a club want to involve parents? And there's clubs and coaches <clears throat> that take the approach of you know, this is my zone. You yeah. stay in your lane, and See I'm not going to involve you. Know, stay out. And then there are others who, you know, actually, there's a few coaches my kids have played for that I'm like, okay, wow, that's a lot of detail in that coaching. Like, you don't have to give me all that detail. <laughs> but it's like, where where do you want that? Do you want there to be a bridge? And then, you know, it's hard to do that. It takes a lot more effort mm -hmm. to build that bridge. I mean, imagine, I remember just sending out here and there emails to parents, and imagine if I was trying to make them a part of the game and make them understand, like, you know, you might be telling your kid just in the pure soccer way, like that run might be the correct run, but I'm not working on, we're not working on that right now. Like get her getting him or her getting a hat track trick to please grandma and grandpa right now is hurting my team's ability to move the ball. But it's right. But to, to do that and communicate, just it takes a whole lot more effort. And, you know, as coaches, you, your time is very thin. It's spread very thin. You're probably out on fields till 10 o'clock at night. Um, I think it's important. Um, I don't know that I have the answer. Uh, I think involvement would be good. Yeah, and I always try, you know, when I, so typically up until now, since I've been with the Development Academy, I, I was traveling or going to different groups. And so if I worked with a, a girls team or a, gr a bunch of teams from a club over a weekend, I would always schedule at least an hour with the parents only nice, and go over everything, right? So here's what I talk to your daughters about. Here are the different techniques and ways to, to build those skills. Here's what you as parents now can do to continue with this development, this learning. Um, because one, we don't want the parents to not know what we did and then kind of take it backwards, you right. know, with things that parents well-intentioned, you know, mm -hmm asking certain questions after games or different things that may or may not be helpful. Um, but, you know, as you would know with kids, if, if I was doing sessions and parents were sitting in the room, it would be silent, <laughs> yeah. you know, for the most part. I mean, the kids aren't going to yeah. be, they're not going to share. A lot of times I don't even like having coaches in the room because same thing, they won't share. Some kids are scared to say, I don't feel... I lack confidence in this situation, right? If my coach is sitting there, well, what's my coach going to think? Well, I don't, I don't know, right? Um, so I try to get that information out, communicate it, you know, afterwards or make sure people know, the coaches know. So now when I work with the teams at the Development Academy, I send stuff to the coaches every week that I work with them and say, here's what we did. Here's how you can apply it. Here's how you can continue. And that's really important, I think, too, because it almost then becomes a part of the speak, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we, we know in soccer there's speak, right? There's a certain way you talk about runs and diagonals and square passes and all kinds of things that we say. What we don't say is boot the ball. I hate that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't boot it, we don't bash it, and we don't toe ball it. But other than that, there's there's speak in the game. It almost is like you got to take the mental speak and put it, in, put it into the game, yeah. put it into practice. Like, when there's a failure on the field, do you see just not only the player but the team and the parents and the coaches 
understanding that right now it's not about the failure, it's about the recovery. Right. Or just as an example, it kind of has to like get in there in the yeah. speak. How do you respond to that? And I think with, with what I'm doing with Peak 9, we've tried to put it together so it's, you know, sports is my world, right? So obviously I work with female athletes, but I've worked with groups that, you know, not athletes. All the information that we put together... <laughs> It's applicable, right? Girls, you know? <laughs> and it's applicable. It's applicable across. to everything, yeah. right? So, um, and then when I work with teams or sport clubs, you know, I get really specific into the athletic side of it because that's what everybody wants, right? But we're really just trying to build those people, those girls from the inside out, um, give them ways to build their self esteem, give them ways to build self confidence because without those two things, it's going to be really hard to accomplish anything yeah and you know there's an uh, activity that i do um that it, we talk about you know brag you know, like brag like tell me we you know the things you got to work on right mm-hmm. girls are fast to, to say like i suck at this i suck at this i'm bad at this I'm bad. and then i'm like why'd you get picked for your team and it'll go silent oh yeah and i'm like whoa like <laughs> if you don't know your superpower in the sport like it's you definitely need to know things you got to prove but you were picked right we we're we're training athletes that have got picked for a select team um, in some way. Um, and I said select team, not club, so it says how old I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, you if you don't know those things, and how can you employ those powers? And one day, when this sport is done for you one way or another, I mean, you're still in the sport, but in a very different way, um, you have to know your strengths. Like, how are you going to tell an employer why you should pick me? Right. How are you going to stand up for yourself? Because performance is performance, and, and we have to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I have a question, and you just touched on it now that, you know, talking about, Stephanie, your current role, and you're, you're not coaching in a traditional sense anymore. Why the transition? What drew you to the mental side? Because you were clearly coaching at the highest level, collegiately, national team, etc. What What was the draw to get out of the X's and O's and into the cerebral? Well, I think part of it was... Um, so when I worked for U.S. Soccer, I worked for them full-time for four or five years, right, coaching a couple of the youth national teams, and that was after I'd been in college coaching for 15-ish years, I guess. Um, I think part of it was I just felt like I could do more um, outside of the traditional coaching system, right? So even at the college level, even at Power 5 schools, I felt like I spent half my time still teaching people how to receive and pass the ball you know I mean right. I know it's you know and I didn't feel like were your I, players from Kansas <laughs> oh, that oh was mean. That was an easy no one. because why would anybody recruit there <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry Kansas doubling down I love it I'm a St. Louis native there we, we the go <laughs> um, and we're sorry Alex Pfeiffer who just signed to the Kansas City Guard. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, well, that stadium's in Missouri. Oh, we, did, we covered yeah, yeah, yeah. this. That's true. There's okay, a big yeah. difference. Okay, right. <laughs> so, you know, when I basically when I was kind of getting to the end of the amount of time I wanted to spend at U.S. Soccer, um, I decided I wanted to do something different. So that's when I went back and got my master's at UC Denver, um, because I was living in Colorado Springs at that time. So I started taking some classes because I thought, well, how can I make the biggest impact? I want to go into the nonprofit world. So I got my master's in public administration and then um, went back to 
college coaching as an assistant to work on my master's, right? So that's when I went to Ohio State. I was going to transfer all my stuff over to Ohio State and finish the master's program there. And then that's when everything started to kind of go online. So that's why I was able to finish everything at UC Denver. Um, but that was my plan at that moment. I was just like, okay, I've kind of hit a lot of challenges in the soccer coaching world, and I feel like I can do more. Let's go this route. So that's how I got connected with the Noda Begay, the third foundation. So Noda is a professional golfer, first full-blooded Native American mm-hmm. on the tour. He's retired now. Um, you'll see him on Golf Channel. He does a lot of the commentary sure. and stuff. Um, and he started this foundation to, because the, the health of Native youth was so bad you know the obesity rates three or four times the general population diabetes rates all these things so um soccer is basically actually his first love of sports so he started this foundation and then wanted to start a soccer program to impact the health of native youth so he brought me in to be the director of the soccer program and what we did was create um model programs that we could take to reservations across the country and teach them how to do that to get the kids to be more active to impact their health so i was with them for about four years and we started we had our um we worked off one reservation in new mexico and then by the time i left we had been to over i think 20 20 or more native nations can can you give us a little bit of a, a, a frame of reference the what, what years were, what were you at the uh, foundation, and then what years were you at U.S. Soccer, so we can kind of chronologically lay it out? Um, well, let's see. I, I started college coaching as soon as I graduated, right? So I'm a Hall of Famer, by the way, here. So <laughs> Ruth Harker, you're not the only one. Well, <laughs> well, Ruthie, one of my current pickleball uh, oh my God. <laughs> crazy people. Listen. I love it. All of uh, St. Louis soccer from the 70s and 80s now are playing pickleball somewhere. So and, just go and somewhere probably, and you'll see everyone. And <laughs> probably still not liking to lose, right? Oh, no. It's, Ping pong it's on steroids. Real. It's for real. Pickleball. Okay. Anyway. So, yeah. So I coached college soccer until about 2002. 2002 is when I started working for U.S. soccer. So okay. left. Were, were you out of Chicago or were you in? Um, I actually came back here to St. Louis. Okay. Um, and I lived here for two years when I was working for them because as a, I was a regional staff coach, so we had to Got live it. in our region, which, you know, St. Louis, Chicago, same reason, uh, sure. region. But I was like, I'm, I'm going to be in St. Louis because that's where I'm from. And we just traveled all the time, so it didn't really matter. And then I went out west because I went to be the regional staff coach in the West region for a couple of years. The theme you'll get here is I get bored doing the same thing for very <laughs> right. long. <laughs> like taste buds. I feel it. You know, Every I feel four it. to seven years, yeah. uh, time to change. I had the same job, but I moved to a different region because I was like, okay, I can drive to Iowa and Nebraska and Kansas, or I can go to California, Oregon, and Colorado. <laughs> All right, let's do that. So... Um, so that was 2002 to about 2006 or seven. Okay. Um, that's when I started working on my master's. I start, and then I was an assistant coach for a little bit, and then um, I started Nota Begay Foundation in 2014. Okay. Um, so I was there for about four years. Wow. 
Uh-huh. Fantastic. Um, one thing. Oh, sorry. Do no, more? sorry. There's, That's awesome. One thing I wanted to, because I've got it on my notes, and I would be so mad. I'd be so mad if we got to the end and I didn't bring it up. So I don't know if this fits, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, it, as a woman in 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 leading, you've led all over. I mean, U.S. soccer very male dominant. Like we're in we're in. It, whether I'm on the broadcast side or, you know, soccer dad pods here, right? You know, um, in the house. In the house. <laughs> and, and, and I say this with just, it's factual that, and we see it in, in the highest levels, U.S. women's national team and all the national teams, still very male-dominated, which doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, I was coached mm-hmm. mostly by males. Mm-hmm. Uh, great coaches. It just, but it's also, it limits perspective. Um, and, and you yourself now, and, and also being in this, just what are, like, general thoughts about, about being a, a woman in this field, about the growth and the needed, my opinion, needed growth of more women in this field in leadership roles, whether they're doing the mindset work like you are or when you were doing the touches, um, down to the youth levels where we see our sons and daughters see women coaches and women making in decision-making roles. Yeah, I think that's a very extremely important part of the whole process. And, you know, I've I've had people ask me along the way in my career if I'm being asked about um, experiences or interviewing for jobs. Like, tell me about, uh, you know, you might be the only woman involved in this. How? What's your experience? And I'm kind of like, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> like, do you want me to start when I was in, like, third grade and I was the only girl that played soccer? And, yeah, you know, I get you, but fist bump. Are you kidding me? So, you know, college athletics. Do you get the question of, do you think you can handle these guys? Oh, my God. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, all the time. Hey, do you th- do you think you can? These are they're a wild bunch of boys. Do you think you can handle them? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Think yeah. it's okay. <laughs> I mean, whatever industry, you know, um, college athletics, very male dominated, especially at, you know top down structure. Um, gosh, when I was with U.S. Soccer, I was almost always the only woman in any leadership, you know, capacity, coaching the courses or. You stood doing, out. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty obvious, um, and. I don't ever, you know, people ask me about that sometimes. I didn't dislike it, you know. Yeah. Um, I loved it when other women started getting involved. Like um, when I was working with U.S. Soccer, Jill Ellis started doing some of the coaching courses, right? So I'm like, oh, cool. And I knew wow. Jill because when I started the program at Iowa, I was the first coach. We started the program. And then um, at the same year, Illinois started their program, and Jill was the head coach then. A little bit of a rivalry. Close. Little bit of a big rivalry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think we were on top of that most of the time. But she, she's got to put that in there, right? I mean, that's a competitor. Oh, she right knows there. the stat. And, you know, we and in pickleball, I beat them a couple times. Of course, now Jill's a two time world champion. So, hey, you, know, you took her down first. Like, you took her down first. <laughs> yeah, right. If you ran into her, she'd be like, okay, I'll give you that one. Um, but, you know, I think it's like, it's like anything. Um, Women have to be willing to fight to get some of these positions. Women have to support other women. Yep. Like, that's only kind of started getting better rec- more recently. You know, I saw a lot of women who were happy not to have more women in because they wanted to be the only, only. one, mm-hmm. you know, and right. I don't think that's so great. But, um, you know, I, I, with anything, I think it's just how you relate to people and how you how you can be comfortable in certain environments. Like, again, I grew up 
playing with guys, hanging out with guys, working with guys. Like, it, it wasn't anything new to me. I was never uncomfortable. You know, there were moments where I had to be like, oh, no, that's not happening, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I had a running joke with the guys I worked with at U.S. Soccer because, you know, we traveled together all the time, and um, I was always the only female, and sometimes they'd put us in dorms, you know, when we were doing coaching courses, and I'm like, how do you, how are we sharing this bathroom now right. with showers? <laughs> Get you out. Know, we're not doing that. <laughs> so I had to make sure U.S. Soccer, you know, move them along a little bit, but I had this running joke with some of the guys because they would make, let's be, be real, inappropriate comments at times. No, and, <laughs> that doesn't happen. And I'd be like, oh, I'm writing that one down. I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I leave uh, this You're going to be in the book. <laughs> <laughs> this lawsuit's getting bigger and bigger every day. But, you know, I think you, you have to learn how to educate the people around you, too. You know, yeah. where some of the guys, none of the, I've never worked anywhere where somebody did something intentionally to put me down or make me feel insignificant or something. But... I could have those conversations like, you know, this really isn't an appropriate thing to do in the situation, which is typically later on. Right. And they'd be like, oh, okay. I didn't really think about that before. I'm sorry. You know, and just kind of move on from there. Right? Yeah. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to see every youth national team that we have coached by females, you know, like, why are we, I love Emma Hayes. I'm so glad she's our next national team coach. She's going to be amazing. I, I was about to bring that up because I was wondering what, you know, because we're talking about the women breaking in, you know, and, and creating that equality or that expectation of equality at a very minimum as it pertains to women's teams. But in today's environment, I wanted to ask you real quick, uh, from a nationalistic standpoint, mm -hmm. because that's a hot topic. Mm -hmm. I don't care w what the subject matter is, whether it's NCAA and you're looking at the percentage of international players mm -hmm. to domestic players, etc. But here, the crown jewel of women's soccer in the United States is the U.S. women's national team. And we have an English coach. Mm -hmm. it's, are you cool with that? Well, listen... <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it seems as if all of these subjects are, everything's a, a lightning rod these days. Yeah, that's true. I think, well, first of all, I've never understood why on our women's national team side, we had to leave this country to find the best coach, right? If we have had the best teams for so long, um, where, why haven't we cultivated these great female coaches out of our players pool you yeah. know which is what every other country that's come along so fast in the world has done now you know you look at some of the structures like in germany and different things they just pulled those players out and said okay you're the coach of the under 15 national team now we know you don't have any experience but we're going to help you figure it out here based on my experience u.s soccer wouldn't do that because they were like well they don't have any experience in coaching we're going to just get someone else who does. And it's, you know, I've, I felt like that was a very short-sighted vision. And I think now we're sort of paying the price for that, right? Because you, if, if we were cultivating those future co coaches out of our national team pools, we would have so many right now to choose from, you know, um, who would be very good. And there are some out there um, that we wouldn't have to go look in, like, I don't know Vladko. I don't know him as a coach. But at the whole time, I was like, why do we have a guy 
from another country who's never been involved in our program before as our head women's national team coach. That would never when, happen on When culture side. matters a lot. Yeah, yeah. Within that competition. Exactly. But I, I think you can see it here, too. I mean, it's just mirrored. It's always everywhere, right? It's never just one place, but you can see it in St. Louis. So so yeah, I'll just, I'm hot all over the St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame through George. And I'm like, hey, you need to talk to Green Jacket people because they're missing a lot of people. And and you can either be you can either catch up or you can be a, you can be with the curve. Right. And so so there are having one woman this year is not enough. And there are, and and. Also, no discredit to, to, to Michelle Restovich McCarthy. I played with her. She's amazing. But there are many other names, too, that, are, 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 that should be alongside. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, kind of to your point about when it comes to, like, comments, mostly it's, it's ignorance. It's mostly, and I mean that not just as, like, I didn't know. And it's like, okay, you don't have to know, but then surround yourself with people who know. Like get, we've had this on the podcast before where it's like I get people around me who know that there are women like Stephanie, there are women like Wendy Dillinger or Jackie Billet we've had on there, Bree McCarthy and others, even names I'm sure I don't know that Jackie's just given me another name. She's like, she'd be great on your podcast. It's great. Get people involved who know and can say these people, you don't have to know it all, but these people would be in the running, whether it's, again, for the Hall of Fame, whether it's for coaching, that I think we're still stuck sometimes in this model of the ones we grew up on where, you know, the dad was the coach and the mom brought the oranges and the thing. And <laughs> well, the, let, it, let momagers. Me, let me ask the two of you then, <clears throat> because with so many subject matters that are frustrating, like you're exhibiting... You, real issues. Do I sound frustrated? Uh, you, justifiably I'm, so. I, I, mean, I, look, I put my I, hand up for a drink here, and I have not seen me. <laughs> I know, I, I get it. But but do you think it could potentially be? And, and I, I don't remember where I read this, but somebody once said, "Like, look, <clears throat> we always have a rosy outlook. Rosy outlooks are the reality of our future because we always improve as a society. However, we have impatient realities, meaning." it really takes generations to cycle themselves out. And right now, the youth that you're talking about, that you work with, our kids, as of right now, they're not as tainted as our generation was and significantly less tainted than the previous generation to us. So when it comes to things like the green jackets and and coaching, et cetera, is it possible that just a lot of this is going to be, unfortunately, or fortunately, fixed with time. Yeah. But magic bullets. Like, we're looking for solutions now because the arguments are all real and accurate. But how do we move the needle quicker? How do you, you know, and that's suggestions? Uh, well, well, I can't, so I'll, I'll stop talking because we, we need to hear from our guests. But in, in my case, I got all over my husband who's in the St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame. And I said, hey, dude. You got two daughters. As a zebra? It, it, <laughs> they let a referee in. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Uh, you know, and I said, you, you know, he met and he met with them and talked to them. And I've, I've literally, I don't have the voice. I don't have a green jacket. I don't belong having a green jacket. But I know somebody who does. And I can push that person to say, 
be and, and and to reach out if he doesn't know, you know, he's already reached out to Jackie and Wendy and Stephanie. He'd probably find you too. And to be, you know, to be like, be, do you want to just be a part? You do you want to pay lip service, or do you want to be a part of the change? And change can happen quicker. There's some of us, and I'm just pointing at me, who are like kind of tired of hearing like it takes time. We know, <laughs> we know, but we can go faster. Yeah, I know. it's a tough one. <laughs> I did the angry part. You can do like the wise well, well, part. Let me let me make it let me, let me make it a little bit more specific, Stephanie, to your experience, okay. U.S. soccer in particular, because you were you were there at a time in which the women were hammering at the highest level mm-hmm. globally, mm-hmm. Uh, and there was significant discrepancy between the value U.S. soccer put out on the program compared to the men's side, mm-hmm. and now fast forward. You know, 10, 15 years, we're at equal pay, uh, you know, through the new collective bargaining agreements, everything else. You have seen, you've been in the front row of the significant imbalance starting to balance itself out. Thoughts on that? How does it make you feel whenever you know you were part of that, you're witnessing it in real time? What does that mean to you? It means a lot, you know. It's... um what the difference the difference maker is the leverage right so women the women have leverage now they didn't have leverage back then and if you go either when I was coaching with U.S. soccer or when I was playing because I played I was in that national team pool for like eight years so I was going to the camps you know I basically did everything except get a cap you know um, I might still be bitter about that, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> There's the confession. Because I got to go coach there. But, um, you know, as in that moment, you know, in the kind of the later years when I was in that pool and we were going to different events, you know, we're still playing at high school fields. I remember being in Schaumburg, Illinois at a high school stadium, you know, and Brandy, Julie, you know, it's that era of players, Mia Ham and... You're just like, I don't, they're not even feeding you, right? And so that was pre-99 or around 99. So, you know, those those things changed a lot after 99. But you still had up until a handful of years ago our women's teams having to play on turf and turf that was pulling up, you know, at stadiums. So they canceled the game. So it it's great that we've moved so far um, and that women can have those demands now and have those demands met and a lot of those are unfortunate that they have to be demands like hey what if I get pregnant you can I come back on the team after I have my baby like before (laughs) you just it was like okay you're done you know Joy Fawcett traveled with her I remember her being on a bus traveling with her kids she's like a machine I don't even know how she did that had her baby and like four weeks later was playing already. Seriously. Crazy like yeah. that. Um, My wife had a glass of rosé three days later. <laughs> I had it on day one. I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> well, that Two was first later. child. Third child, it was in the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very excited for where mm. the women's game is now, whether you're talking about the national teams or the pro league. You know, look at the investment in the pro league now, and that's only going to have great ramifications, and it'll have ramifications down, downward, um, to the younger players, yeah. to that tier. Yeah, let, let me let me ask you this then, talking about the pro league, because you know earlier in the conversation, Jane, you brought up Carolyn Kendall, her role and kind of inspiration with 
City SC on the men's side. Uh, obviously, there's a few very notable names on the NWSL side that are females, but they, they are significantly the minority still. In America today, corporate America and beyond, there are a whole lot of very, very wealthy women. Do, do you feel that, that the onus should be on women too to open up their own pocketbooks and be more aggressive to not only write the check, but write the script at the same time, as opposed to entering into, you know, because NWSL has uh, 10, 10, 10 teams now? 12. 12, okay. But they're getting two, two more, I think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and I, and I don't know the exact breakdown, but I gotta assume at least 75% are male-owned. Right. So that's part of it too. You know, what would you like to see from an ownership or an investment standpoint from women if, if you were advising in that realm? Well, I think I think the onus is on everyone. You know, I wouldn't just put it. it it's not it's not women's responsibility to make sure that women's sports grow. We've been working on that, right? Right. Um, <laughs> you know, you can apply that to anything outside of sports too. Um, what's going to make anything like this is a business venture? What makes it grow is to understand the upside of your investment, right? And and, and the risk. There, obviously, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. risk, but there's no men's league that ever didn't have risk at the beginning right like yeah. sure. mls had risk yeah. they didn't they I didn't mean, they followed a different years model years and years yeah and years you know i mean it almost folded five times yeah, yeah. and least. you know was how long did it take before it was profitable it took a long time right i think where the imbalance comes in is women's leagues start if they're not profitable in two years it's like you know two years no league's going to be profitable in two years, that big of a league. So there has to be that whoever the investors are, whether it's a team or a league, and it doesn't matter what sport, you know, there has to be some sort of long-term vision and realistic long-term vision on, all right, how are we going to make this work? What's, what's going to impact our investment? And when can we start to see the benefits of that investment? And if it doesn't happen, what changes do we have to make? Right? So, um, you know, I think probably the most uh, successful groups have a mix of um, men and women, obviously, in their investor groups, but also people from different uh, industries. Yeah. You know, they bring different perspectives to to that. Um, but also a more realistic look. I think there's a more realistic look now on these leagues and what can be... Um, you know, taken out of them, but also understanding if you don't put the right investment in the right place, it's never going to be successful. So, well, let's give a little bit of credit to our foes across the state, because within the, that league in particular, NWSL, <clears throat> you look at what they're doing, they're putting a significant investment mm -hmm. on the line, n not by the team, not by the payroll, but with the stadium. Mm -hmm. um, in order for NWSL to succeed long-term, how important is it to, to the both of you, really, for these teams to have their own real estate, to have their own kind of flagship, so to speak, uh, in addition to the team? Well, I think it's, um, it's a wonderful benefit to have. I don't think it's absolutely necessary for the success. You know, easily, um, let's just make sure we have equal access, you know, 
if you have one stadium, then and a men's team and a women's team. So like at City Park, have, yeah. so it's gonna be yeah. like at when we get the women's <coughs> City uh, Park yeah. team here. And we just need to share it appropriately. Yeah, well, it right? really and is a European model though, because most of the European professional women's teams do play in the brother yeah. stadium. And because, and I'll say this, having worked for a company that we were trying to build a soccer complex, it ain't cheap. You know, <laughs> it's not cheap to build the thing, and it's not cheap yeah, well, to maintain Yeah, a 20-acre sports complex you were part of the development of. Like, yeah. wow. It's, a, it's extremely expensive. I mean, you're talking about stadiums like this, mm-hmm. where you have all the components around it and running professional teams. Um, my gosh, if there's that much money in our women's soccer league that every women's team could have their own stadium... Well, that's that's a whole nother level, right? Um, but you can share resources. I think in a lot of industries now, we're finding that if you share some of these basic resources, you're going to have more success. And the issue comes in, you know, you see it with college programs. There's a men's team, soccer team, and a women's team. Well, we have to have equal access, but we also have to have, you know, equal uh, choice, right? So... The women's team can't practice at 6 a.m. because that's the only time that's available. So right. The guys can practice at whatever the prime time is, you know. Yeah. Um, and this is hard on college campuses now because those fields are usually shared by four or five sports, not just two. Um, so there's a lot of other dynamics that come into sharing facilities. But, oh, my gosh, that stadium in that other city across the state that's specifically <laughs> for women's soccer, right. I can't wait to someday go see that right. because... I think that's awesome. And We've never watch, seen anything like it. And go watch St. Louis players actually do the work. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, do the dirty work. Well, and you talked, Stephanie, about, and, and I think JB, you led to it too, is, you know, that we think about, you know, investing in the money, right? The people like Angel Angel FC, uh, you know, that the, the comes With from Natalie Portman. Portman, and, 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 and we're going to have more of that. Like, there's, there's, we're realizing that these are good, not just, not just for sports and not just for girls and women, but it's good business. Mm-hmm. But I think you don't have to be like, I don't have any money. We, but but we have power, and we have power with choice. We have power with consumption. We have power to sit and and be. Go to my select clubs, you know, presentation to the 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 teams and say, where are your women? You know, right. like hi. Right. Like I look at Stephanie who's sitting right next to me. I'm pretty excited about it. And I look at you and I I'm like, you're a draw for me as a parent, mm-hmm. um, as a former player, but as mostly a parent of two girls and and boys. Of, of having to look at, at the club and be like, they have this and other clubs don't have right, this. Right. And, and this is important to me. And, and holding accountable for our consumption and also letting, letting those places know, I'm not coming here because you don't have this. Right, yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of the, <laughs> this is funny too, one of the main questions I was getting for a long time, so a lot of my guy friends who became club directors or different things, um, would always call me within a month or two of getting hired and say, okay, I don't have any female coaches. Where can I go get some? And I'd be like, well, do you think they're just like, I don't know, hang out in a parking lot somewhere waiting for you to come get them to go coach It's like teams. drywallers at Home Depot. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're at the other side yeah, of the parking lot. Right? You know, uh, you got you to gotta cultivate that a little bit. You know, there's a whole list of things that you need to do, but... Um, it's, it's hard because at the, at the youth coaching level in soccer right now in particular, I think it's got to, I don't know what the stat is, but it's got to be 
85% male oh, coaches, yeah, yeah, right? Sure. And so not that there's anything wrong with that. As a player, I would want the best coach I could have. Right. As a player, I hardly had it. I didn't have any female coaches as a youth player. Um, it was a little while ago, you know, a couple of years ago. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it's not that hard to find quality women and put them in leadership positions in your club. But you also may have to develop that a little bit. And, you know, even at the Development Academy, I don't coach a specific team. I, I'll work, I'll kind of go around and coach with various teams at different times because I, my schedule doesn't let me kind of like be there regularly and travel all the time. And um, let's be real, parents. <laughs> I don't want parents texting me 24 yeah. hours a day. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's... It's like anything else. If you want to accomplish something in your company or in your business, you have to have a plan to make that happen, and you have to develop that. Um, and, you know, if you want to show a commitment to your girls' program, you're going to have some of the best coaches in your girls' program. Sometimes those are men. Sometimes those are women. But if you want to have a lot of female role models, you're going to go find them, you know, just like you were and saying develop before. Them. Right, there, yeah. there are a lot of former players female players in this area which has always been the great thing about st louis soccer is all you know it's a continuous it's so deep, we dominate right? on the women's side too <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> um but it, you know it reminds me of jb is our episode with jen brooks uh from ursuline so so who's an athletic director and she talked one of the things she speaks about and i think feel like if she was here she'd be nodding at you the entire time <laughs> is when there's legacy, right? So in the athletic director world, she talked a little bit about how mostly they're male, and right? And so the legacy goes sometimes from father to son to whatever. Mm-hmm. Or like my dad was an athletic director, so I'm an athletic director. And she kind of fell into some of that, but that, you know, that be careful of where you're, be aware of where your legacy is going. Because if it's mm-hmm. only going to what you know, mm-hmm. um, then you're probably missing out on something. And you can control that. You can go, you can be active and go look and say, kind of like your, your buddies would be like, you know, there's, there's places, there's, it can't just be a token. It can't just be like, I need a couple on my staff. It, you, you will have to go find them and you will have to be a part of their development if they haven't had the opportunity to have those licensed courses and all those things. Like, it's pretty easily done. Yeah. Yeah. We do, they, men do it for men all the time. Right. So there's intention. There just Thank has you. to that, be yes, intention. That's the word. <laughs> Thank like, you. You're like looking for a that's word. That's the word. That's the word. Okay. That's one word. Got it. Yeah. Um, I I've got I got one last question, and it's really more about um, I want to. We've talked a lot about the mental side for obvious reasons. X's and O's. The development of our youth, um, because there's a, a million different opinions as to are uh, within club moving through the academies and pathway and, 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 you know, path to pro or path to college or whatever. Um, I just want to get your take on kind of a snapshot of where we're at today and where you see it going or maybe what you see is working as far as uh, clubs versus split seasons that include potentially high school or gaps or other sports. To kind of regain, specifically on the women's side, to, to regain that dominance that we saw, you know, at, at the national team level and, and, and beyond. What do you see, where do you see us today as far as the best path, in your opinion, 
for those players, those one, two, three percenters. Mm -hmm. What kind of landscape do you think that they that we they should be focusing on? Well, that's an interesting question. I think part of that, some of that depends on the player themselves. You know, um, I think sometimes we skip ahead. You know, to those one, two, three percenters when they're 16, 15, 16, 17, right? These are the... I know parents who do it when they're seven. Well, I'm, <laughs> yes, yes. I'll come we're, back we're, to let me Let me reframe a little bit so that we can kind of put some bumpers on yeah. the question. Uh, we know that the one, two, three percenters will compete that potentially have the opportunity for playing pro and, and the true one percenters get into the pool and they national team eligibility or a potential. But... but I saw a stat the other day. There's 333 women's Division One programs. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a big number. Mm -hmm. So let's take that percentage to eight, you know, or ten, or just for simple math. As an ex-college coach, I would love you to add that into the equation. If you're a scout and if you're consulting to these groups, what kind of environment do you think is the most advantageous, knowing the landscape as it sits today? Well, I think, um, you know, for me as a, as a coach and someone who's coached at the higher levels, the one thing that separates those players from everyone else are the ones who can make the best decisions at the best times in the highest pressure environments, right? So I see a lot of training these days where kids are doing patterns, passing patterns, mm -hmm. Patterns to goal, patterns, patterns, patterns. Guess what? There's no decision-making. There's no in pressure that. in the pattern. There's no pressure, and there's no decision. Typically, you know, coaches will add pressure as they go with right. it. But I think, you know, my biggest um, – I'm a very intuitive person, so my biggest issue with where coaching has gone today is that it's very um, – tech. you know, technology, technology is – jumped in there in a, in a big way um, you know these patterns these kind of coach driven joysticky type things that you do in training all the time just to show these pictures I understand them I think there's a place for them but I think as a coaching as coaching in this country we're starting to over rely on things that aren't make aren't helping develop intuitive decision making players, right? Creativity too. Creativity right? is dying, right? So, you know, I think back when I was a youth player, my first, you know, real coach of soccer, guy named Bob Fitzgerald, who's in the St. Louis Hall of Fame. I was like twelve. I didn't know who that guy was. He's the greatest guy, greatest coach I ever had. I don't think he had any cones. I don't, I don't ever remember doing a training session. You know, we played, and it, it was like it was coaching within what was happening, right? We need to play right. more game-like things in training, small-sided games. Everybody knows game's best teacher, all that kind of stuff. We're just – I think as coaches, sometimes we try to over-legitimize ourselves by coming up with more jargon – Let's call everybody the one, the six, eight, ten, you know, versus holding mid, attacking mid, you know, like make it more, keep it simple. Yeah. You know, it's a game where the most successful players in the game are the ones who 
can see it happening and developing around them and break things down and, and help their teammates understand that, right? It's not about what system you're playing and, and um, you know, what kind of pattern you had to goal. Who cares? Did, yeah. did you get there in two passes and you scored? <laughs> I, Excellent. I, I blame FIFA. <laughs> I have one quick Video question. I see, you, I see you with your music, JB. I'm not, I'm not, don't turn it up yet. Oh, no. That means we're done. Um, on the spot, I'm putting you on the spot, which is not fair, but if you, for parents who are listening out there and who, who are wanting to, I think all of them do, we want to help our kids. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get in the way, but ultimately we want to help our kids. When it comes to either, it could be on the, on the skilling and drilling side and or the mental side, what's a quick thing that you could, you could maybe implement today with the way you interact with your kids um, in the car, outside the car, or in the home, or that, that could help them in their game? And maybe help you support them in a you support them in a better way, uh, as a parent. Unequivocally, let them fail, and let them figure it out. Do not call their coaches about playing time. Do not tell them you're going to solve the problem. You know the problem with athletes' development today is they are not allowed to fail and they're not allowed to learn those lessons. And then all of a sudden they come to their college coach who says that's not good enough and they have a meltdown and they go in the transfer portal and this has been happening for a long time and um that would make the biggest difference um right now that's awesome i agree i concur the the problem is parents (laughs) i say i I say it Best over and over. Best kids to coach over. are orphans. That's what they used to say back <laughs> in the day. I always said the parents I love the most are the ones that I never taught. I'm like, who are you? Oh, you're so-and-so's kid. Great to awesome. meet you. It, Thanks. It, I mean, it's it, it, sometimes it really is that simple. Just stay out of the way. Yeah. You know, because the, the clubs are so advanced right now, uh, you know, from training and staff and services like yours at mm-hmm. SDA. And it's just better. And, you know, Steve, the accountant who played – bowling or was a bowler don't just stay out of the way yeah you know just and actually pick up even if soccer. you're a player like i I'm guilty Especially. guilty as charge yeah guilty as charge of, of looking at a kiddo who's playing in my spot like, she's doing it all wrong <laughs> she might be doing it just fine the way her coach wants to do shut up is what you, i have to tell you know myself. What, shut up you know it's funny i mean i break my own rule but beckett my son is a central defender i never i was a striker Right, I was the the nine, so to speak. So we don't think alike. So when we talk, oh, it's nice. literally. Yeah, he's like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway and now I'm I'm going to close out with the most important question, given that you're a native St. Louis and uh, North Side or South Side. Oh my God, I'm such a North Sider. I grew up in <laughs> North <laughs> County. Did you ever hear me say sharks or farty? No. I am a North Sider. <laughs> Some of us are in South County and didn't say that South South City, Stephanie. <laughs> I live in South City now. So, so you know. Okay? Right. Okay. There you go. I mean, it's I. There Bill McDermott to... always calls George George. Yeah. George. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, it's that split is one of my favorite things about St. Louis soccer. Yeah. The I-40 split. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank this, you. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, you Thank want to you. Toss to out some things. Mushroom at Sunset Hills. I'm about to order pizza. 
Stephanie Gabbard's been on, and we have to get to booking the next guests. <laughs> uh, we'll get more guests. Uh, yeah, so you, but like, I, uh, check her out. Like, legit, legit. Hey, all you male guy, the guys are like, oh, who's the legitimate coaches? Well, she's taken right now, but like, she's one of many, and she would know many. There, a lot of us exist. N- not us, me, us others. True that. <laughs> you try to be hip like the kids. I, you know, I, I say stuff I like fail. that, and they're like cringe. Then they say cringe. I fail. I they make fun of me. Then I show them that I have the credit cards, and they're like, "Love you, Dad." <laughs> yeah. So, all right, we're out of here. Hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, work is probably tomorrow for both most of you uh, as you're listening to this, and we'll be back next Sunday, Soccer Mom Sunday. Give us a subscribe and a review, whole nine yards. That stuff's easy, it's free. That's right. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.